Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Greg Smith about the role of effective organizational communication in attracting and retaining top talent. Greg Smith, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you today. Uh, You have an interesting background, and we're going to be exploring the role of communication within organizations, uh, specifically effective organizational communication in attracting and retaining top talent. Uh, you have a distinct uh, feature of your background in that you you have been witness to a now fourth generation company with a 1% turnover rate, and that's mm-hmm. insane. So <laughs> I want to pick your brain and figure out like what the trick is and how, how that's been able to be accomplished. Um, so I think we'll have a fruitful discussion. As we get started, I wanted to share Greg's bio with everybody. Greg Smith loves to help people have a greater impact in communications and leadership. Beyond his duties at his family business, CompCo, he is a public speaking coach and business collaboration catalyst with specialties in person team development and leadership exercise. Born into an entrepreneurial family in Youngstown, Ohio, Greg Smith first learned about leadership from his grandfather and father's stewardship of their family business. Over the years, he watched them successfully manage a diverse workforce during both good and bad economic times, maintaining that 1% turnover rate. Greg now serves as a third-generation chairman of the board and chief culture officer at Comco Industries, the steel products company his grandfather's founded. Greg also embraces and studies communication best practices. He believes true leaders must communicate clearly and persuasively if they hope to inspire great achievement. I completely agree. A wonderful background. Uh, Such fun to be able to be part of a multi-generational family business. Uh, Before we launch into the the conversation, anything else you would like to share with listeners uh, by way of your background or personal context? You know, I... It's been a journey, you know, uh, my, my journey, I hope was only half over. Maybe <laughs> I don't know yet, but it's been a journey. I just lost my father, uh, back in April and he set the company up to continue for the next two generations at least, which is remarkable and really excited to continue the legacy and continue the, the work that my grandfather and my father have done in our, in our business. And our business is Comco Industries. If it's uh, we make uh, steel heads for uh, pressure vessels uh, throughout the world, really. Yeah, thank you for that. My condolences for the loss of your father. Well, thank um, you. It's always hard to lose a parent for a, a close family member. Um, it's really tough stuff. Um, so this this family run business started mm-hmm. by grandparents, handed down through generations. Yeah. Now you're the the chief culture officer, um, and the opportunity to influence the the strategy and and the 
the approach that the organization takes as, as you try to maintain this 1% turnover rate into the future. Uh, I imagine that's both a tremendous um, opportunity and seen as a challenge, um, you know, because that's, that's a hard thing to maintain. So let's start there. Uh, what, what has been put in place to help create that kind of an environment where people come and they don't leave? 1%, that's, I mean, virtually non-existent turnover. Um, how, how was that accomplished? Well, I think I think some of it might be <clears throat> unconscious competence, to tell you the truth. You know, how do you, getting a uh, like a genius mapper in here to break it down and figure it out. There's some probably things we don't even know we do that we do. But from the surface, from what I've seen and compared to other people, I would say number one is we stay uh, – the ownership, the leadership stays out of the way of the people that make decisions. We let people have some autonomy, some freedom to make their decisions, and when things go – south you know like with covid with the recession back in 2008 2009 we're very visible at that point in time so we are the ones that are you know uh, taking the responsibility and, and the, the weight on our shoulders but in good times when things are going well we you know, we literally try to stay out of people's way and let them function and let them have control of their their environments and we really really spend a lot of time on communication i mean communication absolutely is the antithesis of any successful successful organization the better the communication uh, the better the organization is going to be especially down the line i mean so many yeah. times i've seen that when things are going wrong the executives somewhere in some ivory tower try to make decisions for what people on the floor should be making yeah yeah well i i love that and it's interesting too, like, I don't know the all the background to your organization, but I've worked in a factory setting in the past mm. and uh, it, a steel production, I imagine is a heavily um, uh, factory type of a setting. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, my experience in a factory was very much um, the organizational leadership tells you what to do, you do it, you do it exactly the way they tell you to do it. Otherwise you get written up, you get in trouble. And, um, the, you know, there really wasn't a lot of autonomy. There wasn't a lot of flexibility. Um, I was, I felt like a cog in a machine. Like I, I was just another piece of machinery to get stuff done. And what you're describing is something completely different, uh, yeah. to your credit. I mean, I, I think we often talk about autonomy and flexibility and we talk about employee empowerment, those sorts of concepts. And people usually think about that in terms of, like tech companies like Google or, or SAS or, or some of these types of places, but it can happen in a factory setting. It can happen with uh, blue collar workers, just like it can happen anywhere else. Right? Yes, absolutely. And, and the, and the key is just to have intentional meetings, intentional times you get together. We, we modeled our structure of our communications off of Goodyear. Ellis over at Goodyear had the performance division, which lost money as a lost leader for years. And he came in there and made it a profitable organization. And he did it through communication. There's four tiers to it. You meet every day on the floor. You meet every day between shifts. I mean, that's a huge one. We were not meeting in between shifts. So the there was a handoff, but then the baton never got tossed. <laughs> and so people didn't know what was working, what wasn't working, where they were at. I mean, for, for 40 years, we ran the place like that. We did that handoff, that taking 10 minutes off and 10 minutes off and paying them for 20 minutes to sit there and talk, and it saved us It saved us millions. There's just no doubt about that. Uh, we have 
all hands meeting once a month where we go over all the numbers. Yes, yes, ladies and gentlemen, all the numbers. Our people on the floor understand what they do and how it impacts the bottom line. And we have metrics that took us about five years to figure out. It's not easy. But they know exactly what metrics they have to hit in order to get themselves a nice bonus and to also take care of the bottom line for the company. Because here's a myth. They want the people on the floor want you to make money. Hello. Why would you want to work for a company that's losing money? So when that little thing turned in our heads, we went, wait, that's right. That's true. And then I visited the Corvette plant down in uh, Greenville, Kentucky. And the guy on the line said, do you see that board up there? He says, yeah. He says, we know everything that's going on. When that hits, I think it was 182 cars, we go home. And that could be 9 o'clock at night. That could be 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That's what we have to do. That's what we have to produce. They understand the metrics. So you have to you have to know what you want. You got to know how to measure what you want, and then you got to know what's significant about what you're doing. If you don't know those three things, yeah, the organization can't function. Yeah, and and finding alignment between it, it, like you said, it took you five years to figure it out. Oh, yeah, so it, a, a lot of organizations have KPIs, but they're yeah. not very well aligned with what is actually happening, what you're trying to accomplish. And so, and, and there's no one size fits all. So I can look to another organization and say, well, they measure these things. So we should measure these things. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe aspects of that, but, but you have to look specifically within your organization and figure out what makes sense, what's driving success for your business and your model. Uh, and, and that does take time and it takes consistent effort. But the other thing you said about it that I think is equally important is that you communicate those metrics back to Mm -hmm. everybody once a month. Um, The number of times that I've been in meetings with senior leadership and organizations and and they don't communicate, they're not transparent with that kind of stuff. And they always say, almost inevitably, they say, well, people won't understand. They don't understand the metrics. They don't understand the financials. They don't understand. Like, well, we'll teach them then (laughs) because once they understand, then it's going to drive behavior and performance and that will help the organization succeed. And it will help individuals feel um, more connected to the, the organization's mission and vision. It'll help them feel like part owners of the organization. Right. And, and understand that all, all, your, all the people that work with you, your team members, they all have little businesses in themselves. It's called a home. It's called a family. Uh, there's decisions that have to be made. If you spend more money than you make, you're in trouble. I mean, they know that things. So there's basic finance that they understand. And when you open the books and you explain things to them, and you're open about it, you're not like trying to hide anything. You know, when you're open about things, it does make a huge difference. And the metric thing of no, initially people are going to complain. They don't want to be monitored. They don't. But I'll tell you what, you take those metrics. If I took my metrics away from the people on the floor right now, they'd be screaming because they don't know if they have a good day or a bad day. It's like going to a football game and not keeping score. You have to keep score. Yeah. And people want to know what the expectations are and how they're um, stacking up to those expectations. And they want the feedback. They need the feedback. Yeah. It's Uh, like this. It's, it's, you have to know your outcome. What's your outcome? What do you want? What's your outcome? Not goals, outcome. How do you want it to be when you're done? How do you know you've achieved that? That's the second thing. What are the metrics you're going to use to measure that outcome that the people doing the work can directly affect? Don't give them metrics that they can't affect. That's the one mistake we made. 
And the third thing is you have to know the significance of it. Some people call it the why, but that can go on forever. If you could just nail it down to the significance of why that outcome is important, then everybody gets in line. If you can't answer those three questions or you don't have a plan for those three things, then don't do it. You're wasting your time because you're hitting a moving target, an invisible target. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the importance of, of metrics that I actually have the ability to impact, <laughs> right? Uh, well, I mean, that, yeah. that seems obvious, but yeah, it's not apparently because so many organizations have met like KPIs for people and what they're doing day to day, maybe at best tangentially can impact it. And so you're, exactly. you end up being evaluated on something that you have almost no control over. And that's right. not motivating. That's demoralizing. It's, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's unfair, especially if it's tied to incentives. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, you know, you, you described uh, this, uh, this mechanism for feedback and understanding mm -hmm. performance and uh, empowering your people in the factory through transparency, open communication, and helping them to solve the problems, getting out of the way, letting them do the work. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's genius. That's, um, that, that's, wonderful to hear, especially in a factory setting, because again, I think many people think, you know, people who are working a factory, they're not, they don't, you know, they're, they're blue collar, they're not educated enough to understand, they're not, you know, all these myths about um, white collar versus blue collar workers or educated versus quote unquote, uneducated workers. And um, I just don't think much of that holds true. I think no. people are people and they want to know what they, they want, what they're doing to have meaning and purpose, and they want to contribute. They want their, they want to be successful. They want their team to be successful. They want the organization to be successful. And so when we treat them that way, then lo and behold, they usually rise to the occasion. Um, yeah. In contrast, many organizations across the board, but particularly when you get into, you know, places like uh, factories or call centers or those types of places, so many organizations treat their employees like little children um, that have to be monitored constantly, not in the sense that you were describing in terms of KPIs, so you can get feedback and know how you're performing, but but literally treating them as though they're they're going to they're going to be lazy, they're going to yeah. cut corners, they're going to do anything they can to do as little as possible. Uh, and if you treat your employees that way, guess what? They're they're going to end up acting that way um, because because why would you put yourself out there? Uh, in, in an organization that, that didn't treat you with dignity and respect. And, and people also, also don't stick around in those types of environments. And that's why turnover tends to be so high. Um, it, so that brings me back to your 1% turnover. That's insane. That, that doesn't happen. Um, so empowering your people clearly has made a huge, um, well, I think driven a huge part of that. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? 
What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. There's another philosophy that my grandfather taught me and has passed on is the, you know, most people think the most important person in the company is the CEO. And they think the, the greatest servant of the person that has to give the most is the new employee that's got to bust their butt to get into the organization. Well, that's exactly opposite of what will make you successful. The most important person is the person you just hired because you've got time to train them to be maybe someday you're, take your job and be the CEO. And if you do a great job, that's what you'll get because there's nothing better than a homebred CEO, trust me. There's nothing better. Somebody that's worked from the floor all the way up, knows the entire organization inside and out, nothing better. So if you can do that, that's your opportunity the minute you hire a person. And the greatest servant is the CEO. That person's got to bust their button and get around and, and nudge and do whatever they need to do and just keep their ear open and know what's going on in the organization and serve people. When you flip that, what the myth is, and, and do it the right way, huge difference, great impact. And it can transform an organization overnight. Yeah, I love it. I, I'm in full agreement. Um, the term I use in relation to what you just described is servant leadership. So yes. it's it's a servant leader model where mm-hmm. I, you know, if I'm in an, the CEO or I'm on the executive team, I don't see myself as above other people. You know, I in the organizational structure, I may be higher on the hierarchy, but that doesn't mean that I'm well, better better than anybody else. You have different responsibilities. Yeah, that's all it is. It's different responsibilities, different stewardship. Um, yeah. But it doesn't mean I'm better, smarter, anything more than the other people, right? And it's it's the line level employees um, where the rubber meets the road. That's where the work gets done. That's, you know, in some organizations, those are the customer facing people um, that drive brand loyalty, customer retention and, and such. In a factory setting, they're the ones creating this stuff, right? That you're going to be shipping right. off that you want to make sure is top quality, um, and, and so absolutely, uh, the fir- first and foremost, you need to remember that, you know, I'm in a position of leadership. I'm nothing special in and of myself, but I have an opportunity to lead, to lead and serve, to guide direct and to empower and develop the people around me so that they can hopefully one day surpass anything that I've ever been able to do and become an even greater leader, greater executive, greater CEO. It's a completely flipped mentality that, you know, checks the ego of the leader. Um, It's not about me. It's about my people, period. And once, once you get that in your head and you lead that way, like you said, it's transformative. Um, And, and people can tell a difference, you know, the, the, the workers within the organization, the line level employees, they know the difference between a leader who sits in their corner office thinking they're better than everybody else and, and barking orders at people um, versus the leader who's willing to roll up their sleeves, get their hands dirty, uh, and really work to develop their people and invest in their people. Here's another fast, a little quick one here, is that the the top-line executives can destroy a company like that 
quick, fast, less than a second, you can destroy a company. But the only way you're going to build a company is the bottom, the people that have the responsibilities that you think, you know, well, you they're expendable. But when those people are firing on all cylinders, that's when the company gets successful. You can think being the leader, you're going to be the success, but you can't do anything without other people. The clothes you wear, the glasses that you have on your body, the car you drive, you didn't build those things. All that stuff came from somewhere else. And the same thing with a company. You've got to understand the success comes from the individuals and the destruction comes from one person making a stupid mistake at the top. And that's a fact. Yeah, yeah. I love it. That's the humility of the whole thing. Yep. Uh, really is. I mean, and, but it's funny with men, and I, and I don't want to be sexist here at all, but it's true. When men are successful, they think they're smart. <laughs> and when, when women are successful, they improve their lives. They either go out and get something or do something to improve their lives. But it's really, it's really funny. I've watched it over and over. My grandfather told me that, and it's so true. You know, watch a successful guy, and he thinks he's brilliant. The minute, the minute things start going south, he, he goes in a corner, usually. <laughs> it's really, it's kind of funny. But, I, but the truth of it is, uh, you know, it, it, that's flipped. I mean, you got to understand success doesn't come from you. It comes from the people around you that made the difference. And yes, you could have inspired them. There's no doubt. And the great leaders spend time with people with less um, abilities than they do. They really do. Uh, they develop the people around them so someday they can take their place. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So you've already talked a little bit about openness, transparency, having those um, those between shift handoff meetings. Yes. I, I love that, handing we, off the baton. We do, those one, we do those all-hand meetings that your office goes in with a shop. I mean, we all eat together. We do yeah. that all together. I mean, when we go on golf outings, you know, the, the, the big golf outings when you're raising money for charities, we bring guys off the floor to go with us. I mean, they get a day to go golfing too. So that stuff all, I mean, we're one company. We just yeah. have different roles. Yeah, equity, equality, that's, that's beautiful. And just simple things. Like yeah. I, I imagine you've probably actually measured the impact, but, but this, uh, between shift meeting implementing that yes, mm -hmm. you're, you're losing 10 minutes on either side, right. Of, mm -hmm. of, of floor time of productivity time, but you end up saving tons of money and probably oh. out producing, right. Because people know what they're doing. They know the context in which they're coming into work. Just having that simple mechanism of a handoff meeting and literally yeah. handing off, you know, that, uh, the baton of work from one shift to the next. Yeah. Excellent. The acting wrong or, or the, the materials a little tough to work with, you know, giving that information of what they learned and passing that on can save you easily phew, thousands. I mean, yeah. In, in one hour. Yeah. And then the all hands meetings. Yes. Um, now going back to when I was in the factory um, in the factory setting, we did that. Um, mm -hmm. But it was quarterly. It wasn't monthly. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I applaud them for the attempt. And this was 20 years ago. So I also yeah. recognize, you know, perhaps they're, they're doing things differently now. But um, 20 years ago, you know, a quarterly all hands meeting, and they would present some metrics. Uh, and they did things like um, cost sharing programs and some of those types of things to incentivize people to cut cut down on waste and, and be more productive and efficient and, and, and such. And I think those were good things. Um, yeah. but ultimately they didn't do enough of it. In my opinion, they, uh, it, it was seen as kind of this obligatory thing that we needed to do once a quarter. Um, the other elements of what you're describing wasn't really there. They, they didn't, um, have those other empowerment pieces. There was no, 
uh, mid, you know, between shift handoffs. There was nothing like that. And largely it was, you know, I felt like a cog in a machine. And so yeah. Uh, th those those communication elements, I think, are tremendous. Anything else that you found in your role as chief culture officer in, in trying to foster, you know, this this openness, this transparency, this culture of communication? Well, you know, the, the, the hardest thing was COVID. I mean, let's, I mean, I hate to bring the C word up, but I, I haven't had a conversation with anybody in the past year that that isn't brought up. COVID's a disaster for culture if you don't pay attention to it. And that's because you're not getting together and telling the stories and sharing stories. Human beings have to have stories. Our minds are wired for story. When you put something in story, you don't forget it. Think about the last PowerPoint presentation you saw. Tell me all the slides. Tell me the last story you saw. You probably tell me when you heard five years ago and not miss a beat. So the mind is wired for story. You have to pass the stories on of the culture that got you where you're at. If you're not passing that on, it gets lost. It's exactly what's going on in the States right now. They're trying to get rid of our history so we don't tell our stories so they can redesign who we are. That's what's going to happen with your own businesses if you don't pay attention to the stories that are being told and pass the stories along. It's important. It drives the culture. Yeah, and so that's another really important um, communication component to that has implications for even just meeting with people, having having a, a meeting in a in a presentation, trying to mm -hmm. convey information. Like, I, you know, I'm I'm a data wonk. I like to see data, but even even when I love data, I still you know am probably more impacted by a compelling story yeah. than than the data itself. So couple, couple them together, right? Have compelling data, but also have a good story to go along with it, a good narrative yeah. um, to, to go with it. And then you're going to have a more impact. You're going to influence more people. Uh, you're going to generate more buy-in, get more people, yeah. you know, excited about what you're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, we don't see that in, in leadership. We, we see... And, I, and I'm not sure what the reason is for that. I, I, there are certainly charismatic, skilled communicators who are leaders. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems in my experience, when I'm interacting with leaders, it seems like the vast majority of the time, I mean, leadership's hard. And I feel like most leaders are running from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next constantly. And so they're not putting the time in, they're not investing the time into those, those moments of communication uh, and, and information sharing, um, that could be really impactful. So in my mind, I would say, no, like carve out time, make sure that your presentation's awesome. And that mm -hmm. will save you more time down the, down the road where you're not trying to clean up messes, where you're not trying to, um, you know, reinforce a, a failing culture because right. you're doing, you're doing it through the effective presentation, conveying the information, the stories, right. like you said. Um, right. and I don't well, know, let me, it, let me, let me yeah, go this. for it. Let me add this to, you know, uh, content's really important. It's, it's, it, there's a Moravian study from UCLA, but it was done in the 60s, and everybody's heard it, the 55-38-7, which is 55% body language, 38% voice qualities, 7% content. And that's the impact you have on attitudes and feelings. And if we, we can go on, and the quick thing I'm trying to say is part of your brain for growth and development needs relationships or it ceases to grow. So you have to have relationships. Relationships are both based on emotion. They're not based on logic. If they're based on logic, then you're an agenda seeking fool. Uh, if they're based on emotion, then you connect with people. And when you give a presentation, when you talk to people, you have to use emotion. 
Emotion is used through pitch, pace, tone, melody, and volume, not just words. Okay? And if you allow your, your emotions, figure out how you want somebody to feel when you talk to them. Don't just talk monotone the whole time, because when you talk monotone the whole time, you're going to lose people in about five to ten seconds. But if you use a little bit of melody, okay, just a little bit, not much, up the stairs, down the stairs, show a little bit of emotion, maybe you know, lean into what you're trying to say a little bit. It will engage people, just like music does. If you took music out of a movie, it would be like, blah. You put music, that background music, you know, uh, music in general, we know songs. We memorize songs, don't we? We can sing songs. Because, and guess what happens? When you start using melody, volume, pitch, pace, tone in your speaking and you're aware of it, it makes a huge difference in your presentation because you're conveying feelings and attitudes which will absolutely hit the mind and it will it'll be like a song in their head. That's very important too. You know, just because you have a title doesn't mean you're important. And unless you convey... They're, the people you're talking to is importance and how important it is that they understand what you're trying to tell them for their benefit. When you have that attitude and understand you're just a vehicle for the information, you are not the information, that will change how you speak and how people see you and how you move and motivate people. I love it, Greg. I love it. Um, we've only scratched the surface, but I'm, I'm noting the time and I realize I need to let you go and get back to your busy day. Um, mm. Perhaps I can have you back on. We can continue the conversation. But before we close today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your company, find out more about the work that you're doing, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Well, I have written a book. Uh, the book's called uh, um, Speak Like a Pro Without Looking Like a Jackass. So <laughs> I had to put the, 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 the connotation in there just to get some attention, but it's it's on Amazon. It's Greg Smith. And that has a lot of stuff in it. A lot of things from what I've collected uh, through some of the best in the world. I've always learned that when you want to learn something, go find the best in the world. Learn from them. Don't waste your time with amateurs. And uh, to get in touch with me, Greg at gregsmithleadership.com uh, works all day long. So love to, love to speak with you and, and share anything I can with you and, and connect you to information if I can. Perfect. Thank you, Greg. It has been a real pleasure. I Thanks. encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Greg can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.